You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Your host for Heart Matters is Dr. Alfred Beauvais, president of the American College of Cardiology. One of the most important progressive disorders that we're finding in the United States population is uh, end-stage congestive heart failure due to severe left ventricular dysfunction. As time goes on, we're finding a broader spectrum of therapies to improve left ventricular dysfunction. It goes beyond medical therapy that's well-established to devices such as resynchronization therapy and ventricular assist devices, and also to uh, more complex surgical procedures like surgical ventricular reconstruction. And today we're going to talk about the spectrum of approaches to left ventricular dysfunction, and in particular, some of the aspects of the STITCH trial that was involving surgical ventricular reconstruction, and in addition, some of the newer data on ventricular assist devices. Our guest today is Dr. Howard Eisen, who is the Thomas J. Fisher Professor of Medicine and Chief of the Division of Cardiology at Drexel University College of Medicine and Hahnemann University Hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Dr. Eisen. Thank you, Dr. Beauvais. Let's talk about some of the approaches to patients with severely impaired, in particular, left ventricular function. Uh, And what's your approach usually with pharmacologic interventions for these patients? Well, you know, that's been one of the great stories of medicine over the past 15, 20 years is the use of inhibitors of neurohormonal stimulation, which we know plays a critical role in the progression of heart failure to symptomatic heart failure and and to death. So the initial approach is to uh, inhibit both the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system and the sympathetic nervous system by using, you know, respectively angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers. And in patients who have New York Heart Association Class 3, moderate heart failure despite those therapies, uh, aldosterone antagonists, while at the same time also using beta blockers, and in particular the beta blockers that have been shown to be beneficial in randomized clinical trials to inhibit the sympathetic nervous system. So that's really how we start uh, the management of these patients. So regardless of other alternatives, this is what we would call, uh, in terms of other studies, optimal medical therapy before we move on to some other things. And uh, I think you've found, I've found the same thing, that we can get pretty good responses in many patients with this much therapy. Oh, absolutely. And this is really the baseline therapy. uh, And, you know, in all the clinical trials that look at more aggressive therapies above and beyond that really are based upon patients who have these therapies as their baseline. And you're right that many patients, for example, who are referred for consideration for heart transplant or for ventricular assist device with optimization of medical therapy often become well enough that they don't need to be considered or don't need to be considered for these therapies immediately. Thanks. And and where does uh, cardiac resynchronization therapy fit in? That's another newer technique that we've been using. Again, that's another real success story for the management of heart failure. So this would be in the selected patients who have a widened QRS who you know, up until recently, we thought mainly were New York Heart Association Class 3 and Class 4. There's now some evidence that patients who are Class 2, if you wait 24 months or so, that they too have a benefit. But in that selected population, this is additional therapy that can improve functional class, can result in a modest improvement in uh, left ventricular ejection fraction. And at least from the European data from the CARE-HF trial where they did not use defibrillators can actually improve survival. And I think we've all had these patients who have, despite getting optimal medical therapy, have still had moderate heart failure, class 3 heart failure, and still having difficulties. And they get these devices, and about two-thirds of them have a significant improvement, symptomatic improvement, improvement in functional class, and improvement in actual ventricular function as well. 
I think, again, you've emphasized start with medical therapy, and if you're going to add resynchronization, you want to have the medical therapy pretty well optimized. Okay, so we're moving along here for different options for therapy, and um, one of the things that was uh, recently presented within this last year was uh, various surgical approaches to treatment of heart failure, particularly in patients with coronary disease as a cause for their left ventricular dysfunction. So when you see a patient that has ischemic cardiomyopathy, when would you consider a revascularization procedure? And uh, then we can move on and talk a little bit about surgical vascular reconstruction. The presence of you know significant ischemic disease in a way offers the potential for yet another avenue for therapy. And I think it used to be that we would shy away from doing anything for these patients with very low ejection fractions. But I think, you know, as long as you can demonstrate uh, viability so that if you're doing bypass in, in people with multivessel disease, for example, that you're bypassing areas that are viable, that offers the potential for improved ventricular function. We don't, you know, at this point know whether the addition of bypass surgery in these patients to optimal medical therapy is superior in terms of survival to optimal medical therapy alone. We're actually waiting for the hypothesis one substudy of the STITCH trial. But I think that at least in selected patients, this offers a significant benefit, particularly those with a lot of ischemia. And we know that we can prevent some of these patients from needing transplant and that by doing this, at least in selected patients, can improve ventricular function. The question of the addition of surgical ventricular reconstruction would be for those patients who have significant areas of zones of myocardial dysfunction. And in fact, those zones may further exacerbate adverse cardiac remodeling and the progression of heart failure. That's what's thought. That's certainly what's seen in animal models. There's been an experience for the past 10 years of doing surgical ventricular reconstruction, which is removing these areas of regional dysfunction, and usually in conjunction with bypass surgery. Certainly, this is a safe procedure, and patients improve clinically afterward. But the question was whether doing this in addition to bypass surgery compared to bypass surgery alone was superior in terms of ventricular function and exercise tolerance and other metrics that we look at, such as survival and uh, hospitalization for cardiac causes. That was the purpose of the hypothesis two of the STITCH trial, which was published last year in the New England Journal of Medicine. Right, and I think it raised a lot of interest and obviously some controversy because I know I've heard other respected surgeons saying that there were some flaws in STITCH so that there are actually still some patients who would benefit from surgical vascular reconstruction. But why don't you tell us a little bit more about STITCH and what the conclusions were in a sense of how we would practice in our management of heart failure patients, and maybe a little bit about the controversies. Yeah, and certainly uh, I heard about the controversy. I mean, once uh, the paper and the editorial came out, in fact, some of my, my own surgeons were waiting outside my door to, to kind of tell me about their issues with the study. But the study was, you know, it's a difficult study to do. It was a randomized clinical trial over about a, almost a three-and-a-half-year period of 1,000 patients whose ejection fractions were 35% or less they had coronary disease that was amenable to bypass with dominant anterior left ventricular dysfunction that was amenable to surgical ventricular reconstruction. And they were randomly assigned to undergo bypass alone or bypass with uh, surgical ventricular reconstruction. There was a reduction in the end systolic volume index, at least from the echo data that we had, and that, well, that's actually one issue, of about 19% of with the patients who got SVR compared to 6% for the bypass patients alone. But if one looked at the primary outcome endpoint, which was the composite of death or, or hospitalization for cardiac causes, uh, there was no difference. Both patient groups improved symptomatically in terms of exercise tolerance compared to baseline, but there was, again, no difference between the two groups. 
and there were efforts to, on the medical side, there was a medical therapy committee to make sure these patients had optimal medical therapy. And then there was also a uh, surgical therapy committee which screened and reviewed the performance of the surgeons to make sure that these were people who really could do bypass surgery and bypass surgery with SVR. So based on the data that we have, we can't say that there is any evidence from a randomized clinical trial that bypass surgery plus SVR offers advantages in terms of the endpoints that were studied compared to uh, bypass surgery alone. The controversies are, are several. One is that many surgeons who do this say, well, they actually reduce the end systolic volume index by even more than the 19%. And so many of these patients really did not have the optimal SVR procedure. Uh, another issue was the heterogeneity of the patient population and also heterogeneity of the number of centers that were doing the study so that as opposed to some other studies where there are a smaller number of centers, there were a large number of centers, many around the world, performing relatively small numbers per center. I think part of the reason for that was that this was a very, very difficult study to recruit patients for. And so, you know, I think the investigators needed to look for centers that would be able to do this. And again, there is the heterogeneity. So we may, with subgroup analysis, may ultimately identify patients or specific groups of patients who had benefits, but we don't know that at this point. I think the other issues that we still need from the study are more complete echo data, and then data from, for example, the medical therapy group about the completeness of medical therapy, how optimal was optimal medical therapy, and how complete was the appropriate use of, for example, cardiac resynchronization therapy. And we don't have that in the, uh, the original publication in the New England Journal of Medicine. So those are things we still need to know. But, you know, at this point, again, the largest study, randomized clinical trial, showed no evidence of any added benefit. And we kind of have to deal with the data that we have. Well, thanks, Howard. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Alfred Beauvais. Our guest is Dr. Howard Eisen, who is the Thomas J. Vischer Professor of Medicine and Chief of the Division of Cardiology at Drexel University College of Medicine and Hahnemann University Hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We're discussing uh, left ventricular dysfunction and strategies to improve it, including surgical ventricular reconstruction for patients with heart failure and left ventricular dysfunction. Let's talk for a few minutes about other methodologies for managing left ventricular dysfunction. I know that recently we heard some fairly encouraging data about new ventricular assist devices. These are in particular the axial or continuous flow devices. Maybe you can mention a few things about that, uh, Dr. Eisen, because I think that's another alternative we have, which is a little extreme, but still important. Sure. So this is uh, something that's very exciting. And I think to put this in, in context of the spectrum of patients with heart failure, these are patients who are sicker than, than the stitch population by and large. You know, these are patients who would be considered for transplant, except they have other comorbidities, which might include age or vascular disease or perhaps even uh, a malignancy within the past five years. But ventricular assist devices have been around for more than 15, 16 years and were developed as bridges to transplant. So they were the one that has been the workhorse up until recently, the HeartMate 1 and other devices such as the Novacore were relatively large devices. They were developed for relatively short-term, meaning three to six-month 
used as bridges to transplant in people who were failing optimal oral medical therapy and also inotropic therapy while waiting for transplant. So these kept people alive who might otherwise have succumbed to transplant. About 10 years ago, the rematch trial looked at the potentially even larger population of patients who are not transplant candidates and, you know, were limited in terms of number of transplants because of donor availability to about maybe 2,200 transplants a year. So this potentially much larger population had end-stage heart failure and, uh, were randomized to either stay in optimal medical therapy, which in most cases meant inotropic therapy and oral medical therapy, versus the use of the HeartMade One, the larger device. And while the one-year survival was significantly better with the HeartMade One device, about 52% compared to about 26 27% for optimal medical therapy, there was still a significant one-year mortality of almost 50% related to two things in particular with the device. One was device failure, and the other was infection of the device or of the various cannulae that were involved with the device. The newer devices, the axial flow pumps or continuous flow devices, have the advantage of being much, much smaller and of not having as many uh, moving parts, not having ball bearings, so they're potentially more durable. There were two studies in parallel looking at the HeartMate 2 device, which is one such device. One was um, published in the New England Journal within the past two years, and then also subsequent paper in uh, the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, looking at the use of the device as a bridge to transplant. And what was found was that device failures with these devices uh, were significantly reduced, and there were fewer infections than had been reported with the older uh, pulsatile device. The most recent study that was published in the New England Journal um, really extends this to the population of patients for whom this is really crucial because these are patients who are not going to have the device taken out at the time of transplant because they're not going to be transplanted. And these are the patients who are getting what we call destination therapy. They're patients who are not transplant candidates, so the device is being put in. And in those patients, the one-year survival was uh, significantly better for patients getting, this is a randomized comparison of the older device, the HeartMate 1, to the, the HeartMate 2, and survival was uh, significantly better for patients getting the HeartMate 2 compared to the HeartMate 1. And in fact, if you look at the survival data for the HeartMate 1 patients in this study, it's almost superimposable with the data that were reported from rematch for the HeartMate 1 patients there too. But the uh, most significant thing was the composite endpoint was achieved with survival data at two years for HeartMate 2 of 58% compared to 24% for HeartMade 1. And again, 24% is similar to what was reported in the rematch trial, which was the trial of HeartMade 1 versus medical therapy. Well, thanks very much, uh, Dr. Eisen. Uh, we've been talking with Dr. Howard Eisen about surgical ventricular reconstruction and other strategies to support patients with severe left ventricular dysfunction. I want to thank you for being our guest. I think this has been a very enlightening discussion. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.